Superbrain is a labour of love. Alas, no podcast can survive on love alone. We don't have a sponsor, so we need your support for Superbrain to stay alive and kicking. You can make a one-off donation by following the Support This Show link in the show or episode description. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. My name is Sabina Brennan and this week I continue my conversation with the super resilient Hilary Freeman. Enjoy and be kind. We started social media, you know, it started up and it was a huge phenomenon because it gave the voiceless a voice. Yeah. Now the voiceless have become the powerful. Yes. Uh, and they have the power to do terrible things to, to individuals. They can become judge, jury. Yeah. It actually is almost the opposite of democracy. But I actually, for the first time in my life in the last few years, I have started to self-censor on social media. Yeah, it, it does make you self-censor and that's not, that's not a healthy thing. No, it's not good. And you're a journalist. Your well, yes. job is to, my to job. give op- o- yeah. opinion and to yeah. start conversation and to actually, you know, present the other side of something. Yeah. And, and sometimes it doesn't have to be your opinion. It can be just, here's, here's yes. the other side. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, and I talk to other journalist friends and we all feel the same that our job has changed because... 10 years ago or 15 years ago you could write a column or an article and it was tomorrow's fish and chip paper yes now it's never tomorrow's fish and chip paper if you google my name now some of the first things that still come up are about that obesity article which is now that was two and a half years ago and actually that's that thing with Janine Saka she doesn't have a voice so you were able to replace because you continue to work and continue to write articles and to write books and so there's other information you know replacing that yes this girl was denied her voice her job everything and still now it's I, I believe it's you know hundreds of pages before you get anything else about her you know that's is she she actually one thing she said is that she says I just feel I lost myself this is not who I am I am not a racist I never have been I made one tweet and my entire life up to that has been erased yeah and she's she's, been defined by that yeah Yeah. she's been defined by that and she kind of said I often think if I was in an accident and lost my memory and I came back I'd say oh what a horrible person Mm. I am this is who I am and that's why I was interested I was drawn to you've written a a lot of books about young adults yes and, and one of your books uh, and it's for young adults but I'm actually dying to read it I've kind of only read the outside of it uh, when I was me yes kind of I know it goes on to quantum issues but it kind of explores some of that would you like to kind of tell us a little bit about that about identity and yes um so it, it's about um a girl who wakes up one morning and everything is not 
right. Her room doesn't look right. She realizes that her appearance is slightly different. Her mother's appearance is different. Her parents are suddenly back together, even though they were divorced. Um, and she starts to question whether she's going mad or whether she's in a dream. She doesn't know what's going on. Um, and she goes to school and realizes that her friends are not the people that were her friends and that her best friend just blanks her and isn't interested in, in talking to her. Um, and she she's actually friends with these two people that she would never have been friends with before. Um, and and it's it's the book is is looking at identity really. I think it's a sort of it's a, a kind of metaphor for for what all teenagers go through, which is you know trying to find their identity. Who am I? What makes me who I am? Is it is it my experiences? Is it other people? Is it my peers? If I am I the way I am because I'm friends with this person? Person, and then all the moments in life that can make a, a difference. You know, one little meeting can have a huge impact on the rest of your life. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's exploration of identity. Yeah, really. and that's kind of interesting, you know, and I mean, it's interesting from a brain perspective because in a way your brain creates your identity. Yeah. You know, and it creates it from various aspects of your life. Yeah. Some of it is from, um, you know, life experience, etc. Obviously, there'll be traits, etc. But there will be things that other people said about you. Yes. And your identity is kind of constructed. Yes. And, and, and in a way, with social media, it allows people to construct a new identity that has no consequences. Yes. But it also can actually actually change other people's identity yeah. by labeling them something that they're they're not so it's really kind of messing around exactly and actually in in the book when she goes to find her social because she goes on her social media and all her pages have disappeared and she just she doesn't exist on social media and that's a huge shock for her because you know, she's she's documented her life on there and suddenly that's not there anymore. So she doesn't know who she is. And, and you see, that's kind of interesting because um, <laughs> the the amount of selfie, the selfie culture, like yeah. when I grew up, you know, cameras were something that were maybe taken out of Christmas time or on holidays yeah. or, you know, a religious event or, yes. you know, a rite of passage. Yeah. And you were very lucky if one photograph came out, yeah. do you know, that that was usable yes. or wasn't blurred. Yeah. And so our sense of self was very much sort of created by other people, by, our, you know, how we reacted to that. And our image of ourselves was very much in our head. And I, yeah. I would often look in a mirror and kind of go, oh, God, is that what I really look like? Yeah. It's almost like hearing your voice uh, on radio or something for the first time. You go, oh, is that what I sound like? Because we hear it differently in our own heads. Yeah. Um, but now there's this whole society where actually, as you've just explored in that book, where this is who I am my whole life. I can look back and I can see, oh, look at me 10 years ago and go, oh, that's what I was like 10 years ago. No, actually, that's not what you were like 10 years ago. That's the best photo you could pick out from that yes. day 10 years ago. And uh, But it's not what you were like 10 years no. ago. And, and, I, and I find it very interesting that I've got a four-year-old daughter and, you know, selfies were there before she was born. And she she has, you know, she will come onto my laptop and sit on my lap and say, take a photo, mommy, take a photo. And we'll take a photograph of the two of us together. And then she'll she'll see my Facebook, if I'm on Facebook and she comes over, she'll see a picture of herself coming up on my Facebook memories. I want to see more photos of me as a baby, mommy. Show me, show me photos of you, of me and your tummy. And she's, you know, for her, th we've got thousands of photos of her. 
whatever she does, she puts on a dress and says, oh, let me take a photo on my phone. I mean, it's terrible, I know. I'm probably creating a terrible, nar- either a terrible narcissist or, or someone who's going to have awful image problems, you know. I, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I, I, you know, it's yeah. kind of really, we're going to kind of have to wait and see, you know, what actually happens. And I do it. I want photographs. Yeah. I, you know, I do it. And I do remember being a child. I was the fifth of five children. So actually, even though photos were relatively rare, my parents got professional photographs taken of my older siblings, mm. which are why the time it came to me, Anna, we've done, been there, done that. <laughs> so there's hardly honest. any photos of me oh. as a kid. So I do remember that. You yes. know, God, I w- I'd like to see. There's kind of something, I think that's inherently human. Yes. You know, what do I look like? Or is that me? Or, yes. you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but we've kind of distorted it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A lot can happen in 3 years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I am interested in that whole identity, and I was curious, did you feel, and I, I, I think you've even sort of half answered it, that did you feel when you went through that social media vilification or social media shaming that you lost yourself or or, or, or were you very s- strong I mean I think you're quite a resilient individual yeah, I, I, I am resilient um, I have been through a lot of fairly um, difficult things in my life tra- traumatic events um, and I think I have got quite a lot of resources to, to deal with stuff um, I know I don't feel like I lost myself I was I I I felt like people didn't understand who I was and that was upsetting but that people were judging me as something I wasn't and that that that, that I felt I felt like I was powerless to to explain to people this is what I really mean and this is who I really am and of course I don't hate people because of their size and you know so I, I felt wrongly labeled but I don't think I lost myself no yeah and, and I mean that's that, that that's that's really you know uh, sort of speaks to the fact that you have a sense of yourself and I wonder you mentioned yeah. and I hope you don't mind tell me if you do mind if I talk at you but you'd mentioned that you had lost your daughter yeah um she's a beautiful name and I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it Elodie Elodie yes. Elodie it's a beautiful name yeah, yeah so uh, um, I I was pregnant with my first baby very much wanted baby um, who was planned um, and the pregnancy all the way through there was something not quite right but the doctors didn't know what and it took until I was 23 weeks pregnant before they realised that she had a severe chromosome disorder a very rare one which of which there have only been five live births in the world in medical literature, all of whom have terrible disabilities and problems. I was told that if if um, I made it through the, the pregnancy, uh, the chances are she would be born very, very prematurely. Uh, my placenta was affected by the condition as well. Um, and the chances were that she would, I would go into labour at about 20-something weeks 
and she would be hooked up to every machine in the hospital and then she would die in pain. Um, yeah, the chances of her having any kind of a life were almost nil. And I spoke to geneticists and doctors and I had a couple of, well, not even a couple of weeks, I had about a week to think about what to do. But everybody advised me that I should terminate my pregnancy. And so I made the decision to do that, which is the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. Um, because, you know, she was kicking inside me. Oh. She was 23, 24 weeks by the time. Um, and I felt very strongly after going through this that I really wanted to talk about it as a journalist. I felt an obligation to do it because very few women talk about having late terminations. I didn't know what it involved before I had to go through it. I didn't realize that I would have to, I don't know if, I, if you want me to go into the... Yeah, whatever, yeah, no, I'm... Um, basically, you have to have an injection through your belly into the baby's heart to stop the heart, mm. um, which is awful. Then you have to walk around with a dead baby inside you for two days. Then you go back into the hospital, you're induced and you go through a full labor and and childbirth. So it's horrible mentally, emotionally, physically, in every way. Um, you, you're in a maternity unit in the hospital. So even though you're in a separate room, you're surrounded by babies you can crying. hear babies crying. Um, and you walk out of there without your baby and you know you get to have some photographs taken with your holding your baby and then the baby's taken away and it's 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 you know it's it's awful and the guilt that you feel because you have made this decision to do this and you feel so I just felt very much like I needed to write about this. I'm, I've always been very, very much pro-choice, but this was something different. This is was something writing more. Something you've all, is writing cathartic for you? Is it something yes. that you've always turned to? Yes. Um, for me, I don't, I don't know if this is healthy. I suppose it is healthy because I'm still sane. <laughs> but the way that I always deal with things is almost by slightly detaching myself from them by writing them as I'm going through them. I'm imagining the words I'm going to use, the paragraphs. I sometimes even become like a character in one of my own books. Right. And I, that's how way I, I've always dealt with very traumatic things. It's almost a sort of, write, bec they become part of my writing and I'm writing them in my head and that's how I'm dealing with them. And I find that incredibly cathartic. And so I wrote an art, I, I asked, well, I was asked actually by a friend at, at a paper, because I'd talked about what had happened to me on social media, um, because I didn't feel like I should be ashamed of it. I no. felt I wanted to help other women because to make their decision as well, to understand, for other people to understand the reality of what you go through. I wasn't aware of, you know, what you described there. And yeah. I mean, that's heart-wrenching. And, yeah. and I can't imagine, like two days, it must have felt like an eternity. It... it it's just horrible. It's yeah. absolutely horrible because, you know, and to, you know, I felt, I did feel, and I, I've got to be careful kind of to talk about, talking about terms like this, but I did feel like I'd murdered my child. Yeah. Not in the sense, in a kind of sense of I did anything wrong, but it, you know, I had chosen to end her life and I didn't want to do that. And so you're dealing with the loss of a child, a stillbirth, and also the fact that you've made that decision. And then I had to choose her clothes 
you know, I had to choose her clothes that she was going to be buried in. You know, I mean, she was cremated. Um, I had to have a funeral. I had to choose the music for her funeral. And this is, you know, this is a baby that I very much wanted. So. I really wanted to talk about it. So I wrote, I agreed, um, I was approached by, uh, by a friend uh, who asked me if I would write something. It was quite soon after it had happened and I agreed to do it um, and I wrote it and it was incredibly cathartic. It did help me a lot. Uh, they did turn off the comments on the right. article, which obviously I'd asked them to do and they agreed to do. They knew how yes. sensitive this subject was. But of course, this is the thing we didn't really say before, even if people don't, comment on your particular article even if you turn off your make your social media private they can still find you in other ways Um, and people were sending me emails Um, and I had email I had an email there was one mainly it was from there were a lot of emails from staunch Catholics Mm -hmm. Um, some of them were kind of like we're going to pray for you because you know you've, you've sinned but we can save you which I didn't particularly appreciate not not you know not being yeah. catholic myself but at least they weren't <laughs> the nasty yeah, yes yeah. at least they weren't being nasty but some of them were really like you know you are a murderer you are evil one of them was framed in such a way that it it, it was a bit bizarre and it said things like you know you are evil you are a murderer um, you need to listen to classical music was one of the things it said i mean it's just bizarre this list of things yeah. and it made me so angry that it was funny and I actually right. put it up on my again on my Facebook profile as a picture you know just to sort of like an, an up yours you know if you're going to tell you know how dare you tell me that you think this you know it's none of your business um but yes so even even when I was doing something like that I had a lot of, of social media um criticism I, I, I came across one, and I'm not sure if this is the actual article, but I know I felt incredibly moved uh, when I read it because, um, and this may have been another article, it was about the fact that, uh, you know, you were all set for a nine-month pregnancy and then it's it's not there anymore. And, yeah. Um, I think do you mind if I read a, a no. little from it? Um, and you were talking about how life had been full of uh, hope and, and, you know, excitement of what was to come. And then you have a line, um, now it feels aimless. Um, the loss of a baby is the theft of the future, the death of potential. It isn't measurable or definable. How do you miss or mourn something you never really had? Yet I do. My grief isn't rational. It's a raw biological pain. I am grieving for my chance to offer love, to nurture, to teach and to play. I'll never put LOD scribbles up on my fridge, drop her off at school, meet her friends. I'll never learn what she could have offered the world. I, I mean, I just found that um, so incredibly moving. Um, um, and I just think that aside from all the horrible people who make nasty comments, writing like that has to touch other people who've lived through that i hope so that that's and why help that's one of you know yes I, I do it of course i do it for myself as well i do it because it's cathartic and i but i do it because i want i want to convey what that experience is like to people who don't understand and for people who have been through it so that they know that they're not on their own and actually i've made i through writing these articles i actually have made a few friends um people who contacted me who'd been through something similar um 
and who who I got talking to and and then of course because of social media you then become part of their lives because you yes keep you up share. a dialogue and, and then and you, you become you friends shared, you know and I think do think that's important yeah. when people experience something traumatic you know to yeah. have people who because it's only yes. other people who have been through that who really really know yeah. that the rest of us can empathize yes. um but there is strength in that and in yeah. another one of these podcasts um we talked to um um Sinead Mariarty she's also a writer actually mm-hmm. but um she was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and yes. she said part of her recovery was actually she had sort of isolated herself and in fact felt that she had lost herself in a, in a sense uh, but she said really her her bouncing back and her resilience was actually when she started to speak with other people who right. had the same diagnosis because she felt they understood and so I think there's huge power in that and yes. um, you also as you touched on earlier you have been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis yes uh, you're very fortunate in that um, whilst you do have some symptoms, they're not as as debilitating, shall we say, as some of the symptoms that other people yeah. experience. I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Um, I've had MS since I was diagnosed in 1997, so that's 22 years. Um, and... I'm still mobile. Um, it it doesn't affect my day to day life. I do have symptoms, but I'm very very lucky. But you you talk about the time of your diagnosis, about how that actually felt a little bit, and it had echoes to me in terms of one of the other podcasts mm. um, uh, about seeing your future change. Yes, I mean that for me, that's been the hardest thing is is, is the effect on my identity. So from being, I was 25 when I was diagnosed and being a so 25 year old, just I think I just started out in my career. I just met somebody. My whole life was about, this is my future. It's going to be great to, I've got an incurable illness that at the time I thought could leave me you know, disabled very quickly, um, unable to do my job, unable to do anything. Um, And ultimately, you know, I would die in a horrible fashion, um, very slowly and and painfully. That's what I thought. So to suddenly, and then to suddenly see yourself as a, to go from a well person, and I'd always been quite healthy. I'd never really had lots of illnesses as a child, never had allergies or anything like that, to suddenly being, oh my God, I'm a sick person. And then when it doesn't develop in the way that you think, which is fantastic, you feel guilty because people say, oh, you've got MS, you know, people say, oh, you're so brave. You know, you never talk about it. How, how do you cope? You know, it's amazing. I'm like, well, I don't really have to cope with anything. That's why I'm not amazing at all. That's why, you know, I'm, I'm okay. So I don't really have to deal with it most of the time. And also feeling guilty when I'm with other people with MS because I'm like, well, I don't really have what you have, but I, I've got the same disease, but it doesn't affect me like but, you. But you do, and for some reason, you're resilient to the impact of the, the lesions that appear in the yeah. in the brain. And that's really interesting um, from a couple of um, aspects. Um, but the main one being that, you know, if we can understand how people like you are resilient, you know, that perhaps, and it may well be, I mean, we know that some lifestyle factors can help stave off certainly some of the, the, the more cognitive uh, symptoms. Yes. A lot of people think MS is about losing mobility and ending 
sitting up in a wheelchair, but some of the most debilitating symptoms actually affect your your ability to function and memory, and and yeah. so it would be hugely debilitating oh, for you as a writer. Well, you say interesting. You say that I do have some memory issues, and I don't know whether they're to do with my MS or they're to just to do with the fact that I've got twelve billion things, things I have going to keep in once. my brain yeah. at the same time, and I'm also don't sleep very much, and I you know I'm stressed and anxious, and and who knows. Funnily enough, I, when I was I, before I came earlier, I was, I was looking at my book, and I suddenly thought I couldn't remember that my character was called Ella. <laughs> I never remember my characters' names. names. I don't. I, my names are. I'm terrible at names. It's embarrassing. You know, I don't know, and I don't know again if that's to do with the MS or what. It's probably a combination, it's given that you're not sleeping, yes, um, and stressed, <laughs> and and multiple yeah. things. But clearly, aside from being resilient to the disease, you're clearly a very resilient individual, in terms of all of the the you know, terrible things, really, that you've had. That that many people would have struggled with just dealing with one yeah. of those things and I just wonder whether you have any tips that you can share with listeners um, you know either specifically you know around being resilient or specifically around social media and if people are nasty um, to take away for people to take away I mean in, in general terms in terms of, of, of coping with things I think it's incredibly important to talk about how you feel you know, if you if you're lucky enough to have friends and family that you can talk to and trust and, and confide in, you know that's really important. But if even if you don't, just writing it down, even if no one's going to see it, just to get it out, I think that's that. I mean, I I'm a writer, so that's my kind of knee jerk way of dealing with everything. But even if you're not, just just to kind of get it out really does help to sort of make give you that slight distance from it so it's not eating you up and it helps you to sort of put it in perspective and and maybe in a way sort of analyze it a little bit as well um and i think as far as social media is concerned um uh, what i would say is i mean i know that when i uh, when it was at its peak with the criticism and, and the nastiness i actually did shut it down for a month i just needed a break from it and I thought I'd miss it like crazy and I didn't actually miss it half as much as I thought I would and I had so much more time to do things like <laughs> reading that I never have time to do and so um, I think yeah walking away sometimes is very important but but don't just internalize it all you need to talk about it you need to deal so with it. So why do you stay is it because it's part and parcel of your job really you have to be in touch with what people are doing and it, thinking or yeah, it's partly that. I mean, I don't tweet very much. I'm on Twitter, but I don't like Twitter. I like Facebook because I like discussions and debate and you can go backwards and forwards and, you know, you can see a long thread. Whereas on Twitter, I find that it feels like shouting into the wind um, and I don't like the format of it and, and the fact that people don't have long debate debates and discussions. But no, I say on social media, I'm an extrovert. I need to, to talk to people and I... As a journalist, sometimes I'm talking to people, but a lot of the time I'm not. I'm on my own in a room typing, and I I need I need that back and forth. It's how I get my ideas from talking to people. I'm not. I, I'm a I'm a very reactive person. I don't. You know. I I need I need that to and fro. After my divorce, before my my partner moved to England from France to live with me, I was on my own uh, for about nine months. And so working from home, living alone. And there were days where I wouldn't see anybody. If I hadn't arranged to meet a friend, I wouldn't see anybody. So I might not see anyone for three days. And my mood would go down so much, so much. 
I need I need interaction with people and that's social media for me that's the great thing about it it's that interaction you know that, that discussion that you can have all the time and that's one of the, the high points, really, of so- social media. Yeah. It connects and, and, and addresses yeah. against loneliness. Thanks so much for, for, for sharing. That's all for this week's episode of Superbrain. For regular updates and bonus material, follow Superbrain Podcast and Sabina Brennan on Instagram and at Sabina underscore Brennan on Twitter. Subscribe to Superbrain on Acast, Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember... If you loved it, rate it, review it and share it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.